So this morning, uh, we're in, a midst, uh, in the midst of a series of messages called Christian Life and Witness. And if I could uh, kind of break it down into just like one word, what I would say is that this series of messages is designed to bring maturity into our Christian faith. And uh, I know you're going to find this so hard to believe, and it would never happen to anyone here. But sometimes Christians can be, sorry, I was going to say it emphatically, and I messed it up. Sometimes Christians can be immature, all right? And uh, you're like, never, yeah, okay. And uh, sometimes they are people that are related to you. Those are the people in the family that you pretend aren't part of your family. And uh, sometimes, uh, you guys know who I'm talking about. And uh, sometimes uh, it's your neighbors. Sometimes, Sometimes it's the people... In the church, I remember uh, uh, one of my first Sundays as a youth pastor, I walked into church and uh, there was a line of angry church members uh, trying to get people to sign a sheet of paper to get rid of the pastor. And uh, I was like, what on earth are you doing? That is, now sometimes pastors need to move on, but that is a sign of Christian immaturity. They didn't tell anyone. They didn't uh, ask for any accountability. They weren't organized. They just took it upon themselves. I am going to change this situation. No, no. Christian maturity. want Christian maturity. So that's an extreme example, and I know you'd never do that to me. But uh, that's not the purpose of the business meeting next week, all right? All right. So, uh, but this is the, really the point. Uh, I want to bring some maturity to our, our lives. And, and I find in my life, there's some things I'm mature about with my Christian faith. And ch- the truth is, there's some things in my life that I need more maturity about. I'm not really all the way there yet. I need to grow in my faith in that way. So really, I hope that we can just come together and uh, mature together and mature in the things that we need to uh, mature about together. So last week we talked about biblical doctrine. Uh, Can we just put up, I think it's the second slide, Jason. Okay, we'll do this slide first. Thank you. Uh, So God really gave me this word that I want to just kind of seal in our memory, and it goes like this. How you conduct yourself has infinite impact on the kingdom of God. Uh, my, one of my pastors, he would tell me, uh, every Pentecostal church has this big argument of whether people should be drinking alcohol or not. And sometimes you don't talk about it, and it's this sacred thing that's like, oh my goodness, he mentioned it. But uh, in some churches, they talk about it, some they don't. And I remember my pastor said to me, he didn't want to get into the whole debate, but I remember he said to me, he said, what happens when you go to a place where you're, or a restaurant or maybe a bar or something, and they see you as a pastor drinking? What happens is they think, man, the pastor's drinking. I can do that too, right? And the truth is, is that our responsibility as Christians is not to bring other people's level of maturity down. We're to increase that level of maturity as we go around. So you'll never see me in any of the local establishments. And it's not because I'm super religious. It's just because I want to set a good example. It's as simple as that. All right. And if you see me in one of those establishments, I'm having a hamburger and a Pepsi so you can relax. There's a few things that biblical doctrine does to us. So first off, it will help settle us. So when we are mature believers, our faith in God will help settle us. That's what happens. That comes from Ephesians 4 verse 14. Then we go to the next one. When we are maturing believers, our faith in God will help uh, us diagnose wrong teaching. So I called it Bible food poisoning, and it probably wasn't appropriate. But anyways, I left it up there. So we need to learn uh, to be able to understand when we hear wrong teaching that it, is, it goes into our ears and it is unsettled in our heart because 
It is incorrect teaching from the word of God. We need to learn that. And that comes from 1 Timothy 4, verse 13. The next one is, when we are maturing believers, our faith in God will help us reflect God. So in everything we do, this is just like the illustration I gave. In everything we do, we want ourselves to reflect God. Isn't that true? When you are yelling and cursing because the person at the Tim Hortons drive-thru didn't advance when they should have, that does not reflect God. All right? All right. The next one is when we're maturing believers, our faith in God will help uh, equip us. It helps equip us for the work of the ministry. And let me just read this uh, from 2 Timothy. It's not on the screen there, Jason. But 2 Timothy verse 13 says, While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood You've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. All scripture is God-breathed, out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That's God's heart for us. So where are we going to go from here? Well, truth is, last week was the beginning of a, a part A of a part uh, B message, so I'm going to finish off part B. But first, we have video overload today. Uh, we're going to show this video, and what I want you to do is I want you to listen very closely. It has a purpose. It's not just to uh, to fill time, but it has a purpose. I want you to listen to it and figure out what it means in your life. Figure out what it can mean uh, as you implement things in your life. So let's take a look, Jason, whenever you're ready. I'm pretty excited when I see the faith of some of the young people today that are just saying, God, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. There wasn't a lot of that when I grew up. Um, but what happened with those who did have that spark and that excitement, I saw how the church almost squashed them. Um, and. I'm praying for this next generation, for the young people who are just saying, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, and they're doing it. They're going overseas or they're, you know, right where they're at in the inner cities or in their own suburbs, just going, you know, I'm going to be radical. I'm going to follow Jesus completely. I want it all. I'm, I'm not about the games and, and about, okay, entertain me to death in, in the church. I want to follow Jesus and I want to experience him. And I guess my challenge to the church is, is for those that are maybe my age or those who are uh, um, even further along, it's like, would you set the example for the young people? Because what happened um, in my generation when we were younger, uh, there were those who were radical, but there weren't people, once they got married, everything changed. Once they had kids, everything changed. And I'm just praying, oh God, could I be an example of someone who's married and has kids and is still thinking kingdom first? Like saying, you know, like 1 Corinthians 7, those who are married should live as though they're not. Uh, there's a sense in which this mission is bigger and can we still live and take risks and still surrender our lives and, and say, you know what, it's me, my wife, my family, I wanna demonstrate to them, you know what, look, when we follow Christ, yeah, that was a little scary. Yeah, that might have been a little dangerous. Yeah, that was not the, you know, 
logical move to make, but God did call us that direction, and let's head that way, and I want my kids to experience what it, what it looks like when we live by faith, but not only that, I want to be an example to the young people to say, you know what, your, your mission with the Lord doesn't end when you get married, and suddenly, oh, well, you're dating, so focus on each other, and oh, it's your first year of marriage, you know, just focus on each other, and oh, you just had a kid, you know what, then then take time for that, that little kid, and until he goes to school, then you'll be free. But then once they're in school, it's like, oh, they're teenagers now. Just collect that family together and worry about yourselves. But then you're, you're teaching them this mentality, again, is not about going out in the harvest and being a worker. It's about let's protect our family now. Now let's keep us safe. Let's find some gated community and, you know, and keep them all in our house away from all the bad people. And that's, <laughs> there's no excuse for that. That is not what, you, you can't find that in this book. It's about living for Him, and you're missing out. Not only are you missing out on life, but your children are missing out on life when you do that. That's why so many of the kids, when they turn 18, they just ditch God altogether because they didn't see anything real in your life. They, they didn't see that adventure, and, and you didn't put yourself in positions where God had to come through, and then He comes through, and your whole family was going, wow, that was amazing. I am never going to leave that God. No, you just created a little bubble for yourself where how was God even going to operate in, in that? And I don't know. I, I don't want to be negative. I don't want to sound negative. I'm just, I just get sad because I go, not only are you missing out on life, but we are turning away our children by the droves because our lives are not the adventure that they see in Scripture. And they are not experiencing the Holy Spirit. They're experiencing like a Christian version of the American dream that's watered down and we just make excuses for really idolizing our families uh, rather than really putting Christ in the mission first. So that video clip, it, you may, uh, it may have spoken to you, it may have uh, concerned you, it may have offended you, it may have made you uncomfortable. And kind of all those things were my purpose in showing it uh, because I really think that we, we, need, we need to take a serious look at our life. And I loved, I, sh I loved the part near the end where he said that we've lost uh, the uh, thought, the, the opportunity, the, the, the reason to take a sense of adventure with our faith. And faith is an adventure. <laughs> it's, it's something that, like, the world would say, why do you believe in what you can't see? They ask lots of questions. And that's why faith is such an adventure. And, you know, the truth is, is that uh, as he was going through, you know, when you're, when you're dating someone or when you get married and then when you have your first kid and then as your kids grow older, people have said those things to me. Well, just duck and cover, you know, hide your, hide your family. Just, it's just all about you. And I understand the reason why people say those things, but the truth is that's not how the gospel is lived out in Scripture. That's not what it says. So this clip is certainly thought-provoking, if, if nothing else, and it speaks to the importance of our subject of Christian life and witness. Are we living a life of faith that includes adventure, or are we trying to insulate ourselves with everything around us? I'll be honest, it's much easier and way more appealing to live an insulated Christian life uh, than to live one that's, has, that's full of adventure. So just a quick little story. 
uh, at our July 1st Canada Day event this past year, we ended up having a big tent. I don't know if you, some of you remember. It was a big white and yellow tent out in the parking lot. And uh, we had to take the tent back, uh, deliver it to uh, a location with some of the guys in the church. Uh, we went out there. Pastor Katie was there because she's stronger than most of us. And uh, I, when we got to the location, uh, we had time to chat and listen and pray uh, and really minister to the person we were dropping the tents off to. I really uh, remembered it this week. And I remembered it because that moment, none of us planned, none of us had arranged it. It was a super hot day on Canada Day. The day after was just as hot. And uh, we just wanted to get rid of this massive behemoth of a tent that's so heavy. But every day, there's chances for each one of us to minister to one another and those around us. Every day, we have that opportunity. A mature believer ministers regularly or daily to those around them. A mature believer ministers regularly to those around them. That's what we do when we're a mature Christian. So let's begin today with with this. Uh, We're maturing in our faith when we understand the history of Israel. All right, so that's our first point today, the history of Israel. So let me read this from 1 Corinthians. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. Think about that. With most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So here's a few thoughts. The nation of Israel teaches us these things. First off, never give up the race God is putting before you. Never give it up. I think I'm going to blow some of my notes here, but there were two people... So there was millions and millions of people. We can't even get an actual uh, count on it because they only counted the men that left uh, Egypt when Israel left. But there were millions and millions and millions of people that left Egypt and two entered the promised land. Think about that for a second. And God did all these amazing things. Sometimes we say, oh God, uh, I'll give you praise if you do this in my life. God, I'll, I'll, I'll tell someone about you if you do this in my life. God did all of those things right in front of the eyes of the people of Israel and to enter the promised land. Two. So never give up the race God is putting before you. They had a glory cloud that the nation of Israel followed. The Shekinah glory cloud overshadowed Israel from, from Egypt to the promised land. It was there nonstop. By day they were sheltered. By night it was a, uh, it was a pillar of fire before them. It was a constant reminder of God's glory and presence. You see, the same is true for us by the power of the Holy Spirit today. Just as Israel passed through the Red Sea, we also are passing through water. Because of water baptism, a Christian is identified with Jesus Christ. The nation of Israel, they drank from the spiritual rock. And for us today, and even back then for them, the rock was Christ. Here's a quote for you. Jesus Christ was present with Israel in the wilderness, providing for their needs miraculously. What a blessing, what a privilege. That sense of adventure we we heard about a moment ago. 
You see, believers today often remind me of Israel. It's, it's uncanny how much they, people remind me of Israel when I read it in Scripture. We must remember of all that left Egypt, only two entered the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. Despite all of God's blessings, they were left in the wilderness. They were just left there. What we learn, we must not spend our life walking around in the wilderness. Here's the truth. There are people here today. I don't know exactly who you are, so don't start freaking out. But there are people here today, and you've been walking in the wilderness spiritually your whole life. And God has a promised land for you that you need to start to walk into. Because what happens when we stay in the wilderness? We die in the wilderness. And we don't receive the blessing that God has for us in the promised land. This is my greatest challenge, is that God, don't let me die in the wilderness. Let me go into the promised land. And church, I, sometimes I feel like I'm there, sometimes I don't. But what I do know is that it's a journey, and my, pers- my, my personal pursuit is, God, don't let me die in the wilderness. Bring me into the promised land. I'm not talking about our salvation or anything like that. God has a plan for each one of us. When we become a Christian, that's part of his plan for us. But the truth is, it doesn't just end there. Uh, In in Pentecostal circles, we say, well, God's plan is that you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's true. But God's plan doesn't end there. There's more. There's more. There's more. It's not material things. It's not notoriety. It's more of God in your life. That's what he's drawing us into, into the promised land. Paul's warning to the Corinthians and all believers is that, Israel was blessed and had spiritual experiences, but they still perished. Listen to this, another quote here. It seems as if the Corinthians had supposed that their being made partakers of the ordinances of the gospel, such as baptism and the Lord's Supper, would secure their salvation. Be very careful that you don't look at faith as a list of check marks you need to make. Be very careful. Paul gives us all a clear warning We learn from Israel's history that if we want to enter God's promised land, idolatry in any way can exist. You can call it what you uh, want, but believe God has a promised land for each one of us. He has a purpose he wants you to be walking into. I read this story. I want to share it with you. It's about uh, a space, uh, someone involved in the space program years ago. Walter F. Burke, general manager of Project Mercury and Gemini and vice president of the McDonnell Aircraft uh, Corporation, teaches Sunday school in his church. And in an interview, he said this. He said, I have found nothing in science or space exploration to compel me to throw away my Bible or to reject my Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom I trust. The space age has been a factor in the deepening of my own spiritual life. I read the Bible more now. I get uh, from the Bible what I cannot get from science. Isn't that interesting? The really important things of life is what you get from Scripture. Faith is an adventure. That's what faith is. Israel's history leads us to Israel's restoration. Our second thought for today, we're going to shift gears here. Our second thought is this. We will understand spiritual gifts. 
A mature believer understands the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Confusion is not a characteristic of God. Confusion is a characteristic of the enemy. When it comes to the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts that are given to each one of us, there is no confusion. I have another story to share. If God called his Holy Spirit out of the world, about 95% of what we are doing would go on and we would brag about it. This blunt statement about church programs by Dr. Carl Bates of somewhere in Texas was coupled with an equally blunt question to ministers at the annual Baptist statewide conference on evangelism in South Carolina. He said this, what are you doing that you can't, uh, can't get done unless the power of God falls on your ministry? What are you doing that you can't get done unless the power of God falls on your ministry? What a powerful, powerful question for all of us. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties, varieties of gifts, but the same spirit and there are varieties of service but the same lord and there are varieties of activities but it is the same god who empowers them all in everyone to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills for a mature believer we should have a clear understanding of holy spirit spiritual gifts operate in a variety of ways but they are given by the same spirit Every gift of the Spirit is empowered by God. The Bible says you can't have a gift that isn't powered by Him. All of this is His. All of it. So let's pause and remember as Scripture reminds us that we would never take glory from God. He is the giver of all gifts. To one the Holy Spirit gifts one gift. To another He gives you another gift. To one He gives wisdom to another knowledge to another faith to another gifts of healing scripture reminds us in this context that we are better together to the one who has wisdom let them be inspired by the gift of healing in their friend to the one who has been given the gift of great faith may you hear the words of your friend that was given the gift of knowledge it's not our decision as to which spiritual gift the holy spirit gives to each one of us but our role is to be a good steward of what he's doing in each one of our lives. I was reminded the other night that God wants us to be like a child in his presence. When it comes to loving God, it was actually devotional I was reading with Leland. When it comes to loving God, we're to love him 
as if we're, we, we were a child. I love this uh, illustration I'm going to share with you. It says this. I went to do some evaluation of a teacher of kindergarten kids at the teacher's request. For the 50 minutes I was there, this teacher tried to lecture. <laughs> Finally, the bell rang, and she cranked out the memory verse afterwards. She sighed. Boy, I got over the lesson. <laughs> she just made it. When she came to see me, I said to her, did it ever occur to you that you're really competing against the Holy Spirit? The teacher said, I certainly don't intend to do that. But did it ever occur to you that God made this child with an attention span of four or five minutes? And all the time you kept saying to the child, keep quiet, sit still. And God kept saying, wiggle. <laughs> and what did he do? He listened to God every time. About 85% of the discipline problems in school and church and home come because we do not understand the people with whom we are working. Why would you ever give a 30-minute talk to a four-year-old? Right? If you have kids or grandkids, you know that. So our third point today, and this is I'm so excited to talk about this, the return of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse uh, 1 to 17. Actually, I'm not going to read. Uh, where are we going here? 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 to 17. My apologies. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Christ is coming again. Paul speaks, to, uh, speaks with authority as he writes this passage. Obviously, there, this was a question for the early church, same as it still is for some of us today. One of the hardest questions I get asked is what will happen to my friends and family when they die. For some people, this is confusing because if you believe that there are multiple ways to heaven or that everyone simply gets to enter paradise, there's options for them. But a mature Christian knows that there are no other options but through Christ. You see, you decide the choice of where you spend eternity. Not me, <laughs> luckily. Not me. You decide. Answer this question. When it's asked by a young person, for me, is especially challenging to answer this question. Finding out that your friend will spend eternity separated from the God you love, separated from paradise, from paradise, is a tough pill to swallow. That's difficult. There's a picture that I just have grown to love so much lately. It's from Revelation chapter 5, I want to share it with you. 
Revelation 5 verse 1 says this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Think about that. He wept loudly because no one could look into it. Verse 5, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, he, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God for every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. What a beautiful picture. The picture of the writer weeping at the realization that nobody could open this scroll is humbling. Not any one of us could open that scroll. Imagine the picture of desperately trying to find something or someone that you've ever lost but you couldn't find them. Then someone comes along and says, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of Judah has come. The Root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll. By the blood of Christ, he has taken the scroll and ransomed his life for every tribe, nation, and tongue. Isn't that an amazing picture? A few things I find amazing in this text is there is a scroll. And if you know anything about scrolls, they don't get written on both sides. Uh, it's a remarkable thing. There's a lion who is, in fact, a lamb. One commentator wrote this, John weeps because he instinctively recognizes its significance. Yet there is no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth who is worthy to open the scroll and reveal its contents. Then in verses 5 and 7, which we just read, John introduces the lamb, the slain lamb now risen, who is worthy to open it. And we look at the scrolls. Here's a quote for you. Ancient scrolls were read horizontally, not vertically. The rolls of scrolls of the scroll were on the left and the right. And the writing lay in narrow columns about three inches, eight centimeters wide, written on a substance somewhat like brown paper, the scroll was held in the left hand and unrolled with the right as the reading went on. The previously read portion was 
re-rolled. On such a typical scroll, the book of Revelation would fill a scroll of 15 feet long. What a picture. Imagine every person that has a name on this scroll. Jesus takes it because his life was bought. His life was given for every name on that list. Is he worthy to take this scroll? Of course he is. Of course he is. Such, a, uh, such beautiful imagery. So our fourth point today, and we're going to conclude with this. The destruction of the earth is the point. We're going to read from uh, 2 Peter verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth, and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The passage reminds me of another passage. So the second Peter reminds me of another one. It says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is one of my favorite verses. It reminds me that I must accept his ways if I'm going to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. So today we looked at the history of Israel understanding spiritual gifts, the return of Christ, and the coming end of the earth. God has a plan. God has a plan of redemption that started at the beginning of time and continues to this day. Today, I want to leave you with a, a, a couple things, but uh, two in particular, I guess. The first one is that we need to keep a sense of adventure in our life when it comes to our faith. And then the second part of that is that I want us to have a hunger for a harvest. I want us to have a hunger for a har harvest. A hunger to plant good seeds, to see them grow, and to one day harvest its fruit. The video we watched earlier about how you and I can't lose the sense of adventure that God gives every believer. Today, I want to, through prayer, awaken the sense of adventure in each of us. You see, faith is a journey. We don't always know which step is next, but we trust God to see us to our next moment, our next day.